sure here. Over the next couple of weeks, we will be releasing some history podcasts to help develop your learning. The series will cover crime and punishment. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to your favourite teacher. Today we'll be examining crime, law enforcement and punishment in Norman England. So, have a pen at the ready and at the end of the session try to draw some comparisons with the Anglo-Saxon period. Did things remain exactly the same throughout both periods? If not, what changes were there? And how can you explain the existence of any changes or continuity? So, let's start with some context. The year is 1066 and William the Conqueror has the English throne. But it's not come with ease. Following the death of Edward the Confessor and a lack of an heir to the throne, there's been a scramble for the crown, with three men all laying claim to the title of King of England. In the first major battle for the title, the Viking Howard Hadrada is defeated at the Battle of Stamford Bridge by the Englishman Harold Godwinson. Godwinson then has to make his way back down to the south of the country to meet William, Duke of Normandy, at what became known as the Battle of Hastings. The battle ends with Harold dead, shot with an arrow through his eye, and William, Duke of Normandy, taking the crown and gaining the title of William the Conqueror. But that was not the end of the story. William was not the people's choice. He wasn't even English. How was William going to make sure that he maintained control over the country and wasn't overthrown? Well, by asserting his authority, it was now the king and church who had the lion's share of power, with the local community having very little. And what was defined as a criminal act was heavily influenced by the need to ensure the Norman stronghold over England. And as a consequence, the severity of punishment increased to send a clear message that the king's authority was not to be challenged. It's good to have some specific examples of the increase in the king's power in terms of what was considered a crime and what the associated punishment was. One clear example is the treatment of the English rebels after the Norman conquest. When William took control of England, he made it clear that nobles who obeyed his rule would be able to keep their land in return. But for anyone who went against him, it was a very different story. In response to the rebellions in various parts of the country, and in particular in the north of England, namely York, William gave harsh punishment. Rebels who were directly involved in uprisings were met with violence and death, but even those who played no direct part were punished. This was because William ordered that animals were to be slaughtered and crops burnt and destroyed, resulting in over 100,000 people facing a slow and drawn-out death as a result of starvation. The death of these people would have sent a clear message to others nearby that to challenge the king was a dangerous game, not only for the individual, but the whole community. Nobles who went against the king were quickly replaced by Norman lords and castles were built in these areas, visually symbolising the power and the strength of Norman rule, but also providing a base from which the new Norman lords could keep a careful watch over the population. Peasants were forced to build such castles, again, a calculated example of the way in which the new king wished to assert his power over the people. In addition to the building of castles, William also introduced something called the feudal system. This was a social hierarchy, which in return for obedience and loyalty, each person in the system gained a reward in the form of land. Not a bad system, you might argue, but take a closer look 
and you will also see a clear attempt to keep the mass of the Anglo-Saxon population in their place. Top of the pyramid hierarchy was the king, who gave land and sometimes castles to the lords in return for obedience, loyalty and keeping law and order in their local area and providing the king with knights and soldiers for his army, should he need it. The nobles then gave some of this land to the knights and in return, the knights would fight on behalf of the nobles and if needed, the king. At the bottom of the system were the serfs. These people were able to rent rather than own land and in return had to work for the nobles or knights for low wages. The serfs were also banned from travelling outside their village without first seeking the permission of the noble. The motive being that this would help the system work better, ensuring it was easier for the nobles to keep control and therefore ensure greater stability for the king. Leaving the village without permission was met with harsh punishment. So we start to see that anything that challenged the king's stability was criminalised and that what was considered a crime was starting to change from what was considered a crime during the Anglo-Saxon period. Another change to the law was the introduction of the murderum. This was a law that stated that when a Norman was murdered by an Anglo-Saxon, if the culprit was not caught and then punished, the punishment being execution, then the community or hundred where the victim was found would be given a heavy fine to pay. The motivation behind this new law was to deter Anglo-Saxons from harbouring or covering up for those who had rebelled against Norman rule. So, again we see change in how the law operated. Although the idea of the whole community having responsibility for law enforcement actually demonstrates some continuity with the Anglo-Saxon period. As in previous episodes, we'd seen that the tithings were used to catch criminals, as well as calling the hue and cry. In yet another example of William the Conqueror's quest to assert his power and authority, we see the introduction of the forest laws. Prior to the reign of William I, people would often hunt on what was known as the common land, land which they used to graze animals which they owned themselves and to grow crops, often relying on this as a means of survival and a source of food. However, under the reign of William I, this changed. It became illegal for people to hunt or to carry weapons on such land without hunting rights, and you needed to pay for the hunting rights. Therefore, this excluded large swathes of the population. Men were hired to work as foresters, looking out for anybody who was poaching. That's hunting illegally. For most people, this was seen as an injustice, something that was being criminalised that had previously been viewed as a basic right. However, despite such opinion, it was not the ordinary people who held the power and the punishments for poaching were harsh. Poachers could be blinded, castrated, or even executed, hanging the means of execution given to the commoner. For those that faced punishment, if caught, one option was to run away. Here we see continuity, as just in the Anglo-Saxon period, those who ran away to avoid the rule of law were classed as outlaws, or for females, the term of reference was waived women. And for these people, the protection of the law no longer applied. They could be murdered by anyone, and the culprit would not be taken to face justice. Another continuity can be seen when examining the use of trial by ordeal as a means to establish guilt or innocence. But a change can be seen with the introduction of trial by combat. This was used in situations where there were disputes over land. The two people concerned would fight to the death, so again we can see a fault in the system, just as with other examples of trial by ordeal. So finally, we come to look at the punishments for crimes in more detail. We see some continuity. For example, the punishment for repeat offenders saw no change. 
Those habitual thieves who committed crimes again and again could be branded or even hanged. Those who were first-time offenders could be sent to the stops or pillories. We do see some change in the fact that the compensation for such crimes now went to the king rather than the victim, signalling that it was the belief that these things challenged the king's mund or peace and stability provided by the king. A similar idea to the king's peace. But the important difference being that it was this, rather than the crime against the individual, that was given much greater importance. In summary, although there are many examples of continuity with the Saxon period, the Norman period saw a shift in what was considered a crime in order to ensure the authority and stability of the king. Punishments became harsher in order to serve as a deterrent to the population, and the freedoms of the English people were reduced. I'm Miss Wainer, and we've been examining crime, punishment and law enforcement in Norman England. I hope you're finding the Crime and Punishment podcasts useful. I'm Miss Shaw with your favourite teacher. Thanks for listening.